and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie Parson. I'm coming to you live out of Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, and I'm hoping, Hunty, that you're down there in Sydney Yes, somewhere. mate. Yes, it's beautiful, lovely, oh, what are we, balmy day. Well, well you don't know what the weather's like That's outside. That's true. I'm in the studio. It's, it's nice in the studio. Hey, <laughs> yeah, can mate. you hear me clearly? Yeah, pretty good. You Can you hear me okay? Uh, kind of. It's amazing how technology works and doesn't work because we're on a wing and a prayer really today. Yeah, we sure are. Yep. It's November the 7th, 311th day of the year. Nine weeks to Christmas. To <laughs> Nine weeks. You know what worries me? It's not Christmas. It's my big date before the end of the year. What's that? It's oh, November 30 when I have yep. this knee. Yep. I ha- <clears throat> I've been whinging about it on radio. Everywhere I go, I've been whinging about this knee. Uh replacement that mm. was done a few years ago and now I've got to do it again because it's been called back and every week it gets less and less time until I go to my Waterloo. Uh, I've been trying to lose weight so I'm down on weight in it. I've been trying to get fit so I'm fitter for this operation but it's not no one likes these things. No, true. Uh, let, let's move on. Hey, yes. stay in history. Uh, 1665, the London Gazette, the oldest journal newspaper in the world was first published. That's that's an old newspaper and it's still being published today. Uh, 1861, you know what happened in 1861, no, Hunty? But this is happening today. What's that? The first Melbourne Cup was held in Australia. Huh. I had a bit of a tie to the Melbourne Cup. Did you know that? I do know that, so t- yes. Yeah, so two horses that have won. The first one, well, not, not in order, but the first one was R1. Uh, I thought he was – Arwen's actually – he won the Melbourne Cup in 1978. He died when he was 33 years of age, so he lived a long, long life and didn't pass away till 2007. He won in 1978, and Arwen is actually Nara spelt back, backwards, which is cool. my hometown. And so I'm thinking Arwen came from Nara, and I used to think that for a long time, still I, until I did a, did a bit of research on this, you know what I found out? What's that? He didn't come from there at all. He came from New Zealand. What oh, bad no. luck is that? The horror. He was owned, he was owned by a consortium from Nara. But the other one that comes very close to, close to home is Van Hum. He won it in 1976. He was actually born in 1971, so he won it as a five-year-old. He lived to 2001. Hey, these horses live long years, 30 years age cool. before he was put down, ridden by a famous Melbourne Cup jockey, Bobby Skelton. He wins it in 1976 in the mud, and Vanderham was owned and trained by my cousins. This is my claim to fame, Hunty. Yep. By my cousin's uncle. Huh. We yeah, went to see Vanderham once. You know the story because I told it many times. Ah, tell it again. Kids. Tell it again. Oh, he just he just won the Melbourne Cup. Yep. So we go to see we go to see him down in uh, Waikato, New Zealand. We we're living in New Zealand. I'm an Australian, but we were living in New Zealand. I was brought up in New Zealand, <laughs> and this is where Van der Hum's from. He's just won the Melbourne Cup. We go down there uh, with my cousin, who was related to the guy who owned and trained the horse, and he said, "Do you want to see Van der Hum? Yeah, we sure do." So we go down to the paddock, but there's two horses in the paddock. There's one horse that was a bit smaller and he was a bit scruffy looking and then there was a big race horse. Um, you know they put race horses in with other horses because they like the company. 
Okay. Yeah, they're a herd animal. Cool. And so we, we all working to get this big racehorse Vanderhum across the fence because we all wanted to pat Vanderhum. We didn't want anything to do with the other little old nag. Yep. I felt a bit sorry for it though. So in the end, I went and gave the other nag a, a pat and some grass, <laughs> and the others were crowded around. They eventually got Vanderhum to the fence. We go back up to the farmer, to the guy who owns the horse. He says, "Oh, did you see Vanderhum?" And we're about to go home. Yeah, yeah, we saw Vanderhum. Big, massive, black racehorse, muscular, powerful. And the farmer gave us a funny look. The trainer he says, "Oh, that wasn't Vanderhum." <laughs> <laughs> it was a little horse, the smaller horse, but he was out on holiday, so he got a bit scruffy. So I remind my brothers to this day that I'm the only one who got the touch there to hunt. I love it. Cup. But that, that race was first run on this day in 1861. 1907, this is a great one. Garcia drove a burning train. Uh, his name was Joshua Garcia. Drove a burning train full of dynamite on this day in 1907, saving the whole town of Nakazari de Garcia. And he's driving the train away, apparently got four or five k's away, and a blue sky high wow. took him wow. with it. And he's been a he's been a, a a hero to that town ever since. That's a big story, isn't it? Sure is. That happened in 1907 on this day. 1916, Jeanette Rankin, the first woman elected to the U.S. Congress. That's going to be a big deal, hasn't it, mate? For sure. 1916? Yep. 1917? Good. This is a sad one. It was the beginning of the Communist Revolution in Russia when they stormed the Winter Palace, and that really brought on decades of misery for the Russian people. Perhaps they still haven't recovered from mm. that. Mm. Uh, 1972, on this day, November 7, Richard Nixon was elected President of the United States in a landslide. He goes out in great ignominy a few years later in the Watergate scandal. Remember that? Mm, very bad. 1989, Douglas Wilder. This surprised me. In 1989, on this day, Douglas Wilder became the first black American governor elected in the history of the United States. He was elected in Virginia. And that happened in 1989, not so long ago. Hmm. Uh, 1990, Mary Richardson becomes the first woman elected president in Ireland on this day, November 7. And in 2020, Joe, Joe Biden is elected 46th president of the United States of America on this day, November 7. Some birthdays, James Cook. Captain James Cook was born on this day in 1728, died in 1779. You know who he is, don't you, Hunty? Oh, the guy who circumnavigated Australia? Well, he discovered Australia, bro. Who says? <laughs> who says? Well, that's what history says, man. Well, Don't you know? Don't Are you serious you don't know that? Well, what about the golden um, boomerang they found up north? Oh, hunting. Let's move what on. About, what about? <laughs> I don't. I, 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 I don't want to embarrass anybody here. Uh, birthdays. So we've got Captain Cook, seventeen twenty-eight. Billy Graham in nineteen eighteen. He died in two thousand eighteen. Hundred years of age. Great man. Great preacher. Nineteen twenty-six on this day, November seven. Joan Sutherland. She died in two thousand ten. You know what she's famous for? She was a magnificent Aussie opera singer. Absolutely the best. Did you ever do any work for her? No, but I got to hear her sing once. Amazing voice. Would have been, yeah. yeah. 1950, Johnny Lang. You know who he is? Sounds like a footballer. Yeah, it's his birthday. Great Queensland <laughs> footballer, Queensland coach, Queensland player. We love you, Johnny Lang. I hope you're listening. And in 1976, last birthday, Mark Philippoussis, mm-hmm. Aussie tennis player. Mm-hmm. Yep. Death, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, huh. Died in 1980, a long time ago. Yeah. He died when he was only 50, he got cancer. A very famous actor. I remember him um, in a few movies that he acted in, really enjoyed him. And then word of the day, Hunty, let's get into yeah, this. Yeah, what's the word of the day? Uh, crepuscular. Oh, what's that again? Crepuscular. No idea. 
crepuscular, <laughs> relating to or resembling twilight. Oh, okay. This word was first discovered or came into being in 1660 to 1670 in that 10 years. And here it is in a sentence. During the crepuscular times of the day, the sky takes on a mesmerising blend of colours. Do you like that? I do. It just means during the twilight times of the day. So my sentence, you want to hear this? Yes, please. Love it. Hunty reached the crepuscular of his tennis career (laughs) the moment he tried to take on Lloyd in their first game. (laughs) Now you've got to tell the truth on this radio program. Hunty reached the twilight of his tennis career the moment. You like that? I I did like that. But I I do have witnesses that will will defy the fact that you won because I did. Oh dear! Oh dear! Here we go. Yeah, I'm going to do something on the Ten Commandments soon. I'm going to do. I'm going to specialise in that first, not the first one. I'm going to specialise that one in the middle of them. Thou shalt not lie. You know. Hey. You know, I'm completely unsupervised in this studio, and I have your mute button. Yeah, it's a bit of a worry. <laughs> it is. We, we welcome you again to the program today. We, we hope that God blesses you. And I'm going to ask Hunty. Yes. Our tremendous and. <laughs> venerated tennis player, to open with a prayer. Definitely, Father Lord. I pray once again for all of our listeners, Lord, that you grant them peace and bless them with all of their needs and let them see you, Lord, so that they may become close to you. Thank you, Lord, for this chance to hold you high in our community and I pray for my mate Lloyd. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This first song, Hunty's a beauty. Yes, it is. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Uh, it's a beautiful song, um, and I think you're going to enjoy it. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no
that song hunty it's a ripper yeah it's a song we like to sing in church at new hope a fair bit too and by the way uh if you are interested in coming to church this week hunty will be there i'll be there preaching we'd love to see you what's the address oh yeah we would love to see you ah yes for samuel place quakers hill behind the alley phew that's under pressure too man yeah mate (laughs) for samuel place Quakers. it's in the life the life anglican church yeah, Quakers Hill behind, yeah, the, behind the We behind love the to hill. see you there. We start worshipping at 10 o'clock. We have two worship services. The first one, Sabbath school, which is like Sunday school. Bible study. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we all get together and bar- split into groups and Bible study. And the second one, the main one, where I'll be preaching this Saturday, Sabbath, starting around 11 o'clock. Uh, we'd love to see you there and stay for lunch. Indeed. We have a lunch every week. It's, always a, it's always a beaut lunch too. Yeah, it is. And this that's one of the songs we like to sing. Hey, a couple of news items yes, here please. that I've been looking at. Um, two of them, Hunty. I thought I'd steer away from the wars and the good, gloom and good, the darkness. Good, good, good. Because I know it's all going down over there in Ukraine and Israel at the moment and the Palestinians and the Russians. Let's just give it a miss this week. We'll be back to it next week. Uh, this one, the first news one I found, uh, unlocking a USB drive worth $235 million. This dude has all the codes for his bit coin on this usb drive yes and those codes represent 235 million he's forgotten the password is that right and he can't get in it's an encryption key that unlocks the ability to spend the bitcoin yes and it's basically a password and is there not just no way of him ever getting into that so he used the company i think it's called iron forge or iron lock or something he used a company to encrypt the password so it couldn't possibly ever be guessed or hacked. So he used an expensive protection, security protection software when he set the password up and then he forgot it. How could you do that? Well, you'd, you'd, you'd want to write it down, wouldn't you? Anyway, it's not all lost though because he went to a couple of companies and he said, hey, can you hack this? And they said, sure, how many attempts have you already had? And he said, I've already had, is it eight of the 10 or 10 of the 12? He'd already had most of the the tries he'd used, and there was only two tries left. Oh, dear. And if you you put the password in two more times wrong, $235 million gets erased because the encryption is so strong, it's set to erase the drive if if it's had too many false attempts. So, So, So a company set to to hack it. So they got uh, another iron lock and they started playing with it. And they worked out that they couldn't really beat it. But what they could do was they could stop it from counting the attempts. So they managed to hack into the attempt counter and disable the attempt counter, which gave them unlimited attempts. So then they set, I think, about 100 supercomputers onto the task and 200-plus trillion guesses later, it had the code. Did you say it had the code? They had the code. He used three words. He used three words. I forget yeah. what the words were. But he used three words as the code. And after 200 trillion guesses, one of the computers had got it. Now, it's a very interesting story because he actually set two companies onto this task. That's right. And he said to yeah. them, look, say you guys don't kill each other over this, I'm going to split the reward with both of you, the winners and the losers, which I thought yeah. was pretty cool. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> the, the, the end of that story is make sure you know what your code is. I'd be in real trouble because, as you know, oh, I do. I'm losing <laughs> codes left, right, and Oh, they drive me nuts. Uh, the second story, the future of Twitter. Tell us about that. Okay, now, Twitter well, used it. Well, when I say Twitter, it's not called Twitter anymore. No, it's called X. It's called X. Which I, which I think is really weird, but that's okay. Let me give you a little um, history lesson. Yep. Elon Musk started a company called X, and he joined yeah, forces with the bank. And ultimately, he ended up merging with another financial entity to create PayPal, yep. which he sold to eBay for some ridiculous amount of yep. money, $1.5 billion or something. And that's the seed money he used for SpaceX. Now, this man is smart. He's a dreamer. He can see into the future. He has great ideas. And his plan for... The, the old Twitter platform, which is now called X. His plan is to make it a financial institution like PayPal so you can bank with it. He wants to make it like LinkedIn so you can look for jobs and, and communicate yep. through your business and, and keep your professional relationships alive. He wants to put a segment in there called uh, Like Facebook so you can have your, your social and your fun. And it's also still going to do tweets. So he wants to make an app that does everything. And he is, according to all reports and the engineers and software designers, he is flying into this and it's not too far away. Is that a threat to Facebook and YouTube or oh, are they different platforms between you and do me, different things? Between you and me, mate, everyone wants to have something that's not Facebook because Facebook is such a difficult company to deal with. So, yeah. Well, we, to tell you the truth, as you know, Hunty, I've, I've canned my mm, personal Facebook page. Mm. I mean, he's, he's so, going to have a hard time. He's, he's also going to put in a segment like YouTube where you can watch videos. He's going to have a hard time fighting and competing with Google, but that's still nevertheless his plan. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Go for it, Elon. <laughs> I was going to say, by the way, if you um, if, if you're a personal Facebook friend of mine, don't be offended. I did let people know. <laughs> that's right. I've what? Two or three weeks. Page has gone to the end. Yep. I just got sick of the vitriol. Yep. And the nastiness and the one-mindedness and the bigotry of Facebook. And uh, we still have our Aussie Pastor Facebook page. We do. Which if you're not a whatever you call it. Follower. Um, you should join. I don't, I don't like that word, follower. But I suppose that's what it is. Um, join our Aussie Pastor Facebook page where you can keep up with our ministry, what yes. we do, our preaching, our yes. teaching, where we go. Plus you can see uh, all the live videos and so forth too. That's right. This last one, we've got one minute and a half in Singapore. I love this one, honey. Yep. I'm into cycling, and bikes cost a lot of money. <laughs> I've got an old I got an old heap of junk, which I think cost me $1,000. It really is an old. You've seen it. There's nothing special about my bike. This dude's got a bike worth $30,000. He's in Singapore. He goes to a coffee shop. He parks his $30,000 bike outside the coffee shop and goes in and has a coffee. He does. The thing is, if you did that in Australia, if you did that in the United States, if you did it in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand, if you did it in Britain, anywhere else in the world, what would happen to that $30,000 bike? It would grow legs and run off by itself. But in Singapore, no one steals nothing. That's right. What a wonderful place. Let me correct you. No one steals anything. <laughs> no one steals nothing. And what a fantastic You can't steal nothing. <laughs> No one steals nothing. Love, I'm going to keep saying it. Just, uh, just no one steals nothing. What's the key? The What's key the key is they're um, vigilant. They're, they're laws, they're police, they're vigilant. They don't let anyone get away with anything. You get a caning for spitting chewing gum on the sidewalk. You get a, you know, you get fines and, and jail time for I, even the most basic offences. I, I reckon it's more than that. Oh, what do you I reckon? reckon? I reckon it is that. You, you better be careful in, in um, Singapore doing anything wrong. You don't even spit chewing gum on the street. 
However, I also think it's in their culture. Oh, good. Where these people have in built into their culture a respect for other people's things. And how I wish the world was like that. And I'll tell you what, if, if you've uh, in the past been the sort of person that has got shifty hands and is happy to steal and to take other – don't do it. Don't take other people's stuff. That's Be a right. man and a woman of honesty. You make a difference and yep. you make other people's – hunting when I you remember when I got that new iPhone new iPhone many years ago and I went down to Manly with my kids and I left it uh, I was having one of those uh, chip kebab oh that's so uh, delicious and I left the iPhone on the 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 brick wall I'd been sitting on walked away 10 minutes later realized what I'd done we used another phone to ring it the guy had picked it up he answered the phone he brought it back and it, <gasps> it, it was such a warm experience. Nice. No. To have someone so honest. Very good. So, uh, as we look at the news today, pretty interesting, mostly positive, and no gloom and doom. And I reckon, Hunty, yep. that's a good thing. We are living in hard times, though. You look at what's going over in uh, Israel and Palestine, all the death, and Russia and Ukraine, and there's wars and troubles and trials and disasters everywhere. We're living in the days of Elijah. This is a song from Robin Mark. This song, interestingly, is talking what it'll be like just before Jesus comes, which I happen to think is right now. I hope you enjoy it.
Johnson to the program today. Terry is the lead pastor for the Australian Seventh-day Adventist Church. Welcome, Terry. Thank you very much, Lloyd, and good day to all of those who are listening to Faith FM. Uh, we've had a little bit of trouble trying to get you. You've been uh, travelling around the country the last few days, is that right? I have been, yes. I've been uh, in many different places around this beautiful country of ours, and it is a pleasure to be at home for a couple of days before I leave again on Sunday. Um, now, you're the lead pastor of the church. Before we get into the questions today, and I've got some uh uh, beauties I want to ask you about what's been going on in Australia in the last few months. But before we even get there, your job, lead pastor, just to remind our listeners who may not have heard before, you're the lead pastor of the church right across this great nation. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. And my role is is one of um, sharing vision and helping people understand the mission and and continuing to pursue the mission of why we are a church, why we are a denomination. And in doing that, also the governance aspects of of running nine different uh, conferences who are representatives in regional areas and ensuring that they're doing things in accordance with best practice and the integrity of being Christians. So when you say conference, is that, that, is that like a synod or a diocese or how does that work? Yeah, it's more like a diocese than it is a synod. So it's a, it's a grouping of different areas under one leadership team to make it more efficient and effective in sharing mission. So then... We could say, what, Sydney would be a conference? Is that right? 
Yes, Sydney is actually the only city conference that we have in the entire South Pacific, and we've got 45 million people who live in the South Pacific, of which almost 700,000 claim to be Seventh-day Adventists. But wow. only 10% of that is actually in Australia. The other 90% are in the Pacific, and in particular in Papua New Guinea. So 60 or 70,000 Adventists in Australia. Correct, and that's just those who are baptized. And so we think there's probably closer to about 90,000 in total. So how many conferences do you have? So we have nine conferences, and each one of those conferences run the church company. They run an education company, and five of them run aged care companies. And we're the 32nd largest aged care provider in the country. I don't know whether that's big or not. Sounds it's, sounds it's huge. It is huge, is it? It is. Okay. Very huge. Okay, look, I want to ask you a few questions about what's been going on in Australia, because you are the lead pastor of our church in Australia, so it makes sense I come and ask you these questions. Um and I just want to, I know you do this, and I want to hear from your heart as the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church on how you feel about some of these things that have been going on. Um, how do you think Australia went through the voice referendum question? I think that Australia has realized that we still have some maturing to do, and that is that the conversations that we've had in the voice could have been far more gentle and kind than they were. I think there were good points on both sides of the argument. But the challenge was, how do we share this in a time when social media is having such an impact and causing there to be such division, uh, which means that instead of mature, hearty and healthy conversation, we ended up just sprouting logos at one another and, and causing ourselves to really wonder where we had common ideas uh, more than before. And that's an unfortunate outcome, in my opinion. What is it about social media, you reckon, that causes that? Because I've seen people that you meet face-to-face, -face, they're nice people, they're fairly gentle people, they're what you'd call good people, and they get onto social media and it's like a dragon comes out. Yeah, for some reason, as soon as you get on social media, there seems to be this innate uh, human ability to feel like you are uh, indestructible and to share things in a public manner online that you would never do in yeah. a conversation with a friend. So it's it, almost it, like, yeah, go, yeah go, go, it, it divides us. It's almost like people will uh, say things on social media that they'd never say if they were talking to someone face to face. Is it, do you reckon I'm going too far there? Or it's just no, I seem to be seeing that. I think you're actually hitting it uh, spot on. And Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13 actually suggests if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive so that you can speak to others with compassionate hearts and kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. Yeah. And that is the tone of democratic conversation that we all aspire to. But that in the last, I would say, nine years, starting in the United States, and coming over here gradually uh, has has gone the way of the dodo. Yeah. It's sad, Terry. It's actually really sad because democracy is built on this idea that we can have different ideas, we can vote for different parties or for, for different things and still respect each other, even love each other, and still be united as a nation. Yet we seem to be struggling to do that more and more. Yeah, and it's very, very unfortunate, uh, Lloyd, because I think that most people like each other. And when they get to know one another, mm. irrespective of their culture or even of their religious beliefs, there is a deep respect for another human being. And this kind of binary conversation between a yes and a no causes there to be little left to the gray areas 
which enable good discussion. Yeah, which I reckon is a, it's always a shame, isn't it? It is. I mean, look, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 26 says, wisdom is a person who opens their mouth with kindness on their tongue. And I think yeah. that's what's lacking, Lloyd. Yeah. So in your view, as you looked at this referendum uh, on the yes or no question, was there room for Christians to fall on either side of this question? Yes, absolutely. And and it, that was seen, you know, when you're looking at the uh, research that's been done on the people who voted, it's clear that Christians were on both sides of the argument. In Parliament, they were on both sides of the argument, and there was room for that to occur. Uh, it's It's been fascinating to look at the the way in which our society voted. You know, those who were mostly in favor came from the inner cities of the major metro metropolitan areas, and, and then um, they tended to be of a particular gender and ethnicity. So it was fascinating to actually read that and to recognize that the divisions that we have are complicated. They're, they're not even you know, a yes or a no. They're they're complicated by culture. They're complicated by religion. They're complicated by gender. Uh, um, the the education levels complicates it as well. So there's this myriad, you know, this, this huge, vast uh, complexity to the conversation that again politicians are trying to bring down to yes and no. And whenever you try and bring a uh, an argument down to a yes and a no, somebody always loses. And when somebody loses, the nation as a whole loses. On a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, perspective, as we treat each other, um, how do you think we should, if we claim Christ, a Christian? Now, I know there's people listening to this radio program right now, this show, who are not Christians. That's fine. I think they get a little insight, a little window into how we should be. How do you think we should relate to those who voted opposite to us? Well, now, that, now that the vote's over, and yet there's still a lot of ramifications out there, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that is something that I think is uh, uh, what we need to focus on. And look, again, in, in the book of First John, chapter three, verse 18, the Apostle John says, little children, let us love in word. Uh, let us not love in word or talk, but actually in deed and in truth. And therefore, we have to we have to recognize that we're going to have differences of opinion. And therefore, what we say is going to be different one from the other. But the way in which we deal with the person who has a difference of opinion with us in truth and in action is really the most important uh, attributes that we can we can uh, give to our faith. Yeah. My grandmother used to say to me, you know, on these sorts of things, she used to say, try and walk in the shoes of the other person. Yeah. And when you can walk in their shoes and get a sense, and, and that you've got to listen to do that, haven't you? You, do. You, you walk in their shoes, you get a sense of where they're coming from. You may still not agree with them. You, you may still not vote the way they want you or, or are voting themselves, but at least you'll understand where they're coming from. And, and look, again, scripture with principles seems to indicate that we don't want to repay evil for evil, you know, or different ideas for different ideas. We were called to actually obtain a blessing through the unity of mind and brotherly love, as Peter says. So I think it's important to fo focus on that and also to focus on what God says are the spirit given gifts. You know, when you're looking at Galatians chapter five. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And those are things that I think that as a nation, we're actually forgetting, Lloyd. You know, I sometimes watch on YouTube the uh, channel on dash cam. And you yeah. see, the, you see the, <laughs> I think most of us have a little bit of a joy looking at that. I keep looking for yeah. my car on there. <laughs> I keep looking for Hunty's car on there, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but, you know, I actually run one of the Aussie Dash Cam pages, and I've always worried about myself appearing on my own page. 
That's it, Hunty. That's it. And, and you know, when you're looking at it, you recognize that uh, there's an awful lot of anger and also a lot of people who are not being gentle or having self-control, breaking the law, thinking that the law does not apply to them, not thinking about the consequences. And, and in order for society to be successful, we always have to be thinking about the other person more than what we're thinking about for ourselves, which is why God says it's love, joy, peace, and patience. When you have love, you're filled with joy, you're filled with peace, you have patience with other people. And, and you, you can see this particularly at airports where the stress of flying, and I fly a lot, uh, it affects the way that people treat one another. There yeah. is no patience, there is no gentleness, there's no sense of, hey, let me help you so that we can all get on the flight faster and get to our destination in, in better time. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about there. Had a few incidences myself. Um, what do you suggest to those who are struggling to forgive those who took a different position on this referendum? Because there is there is a lot of wash up from this. There Friendships is. have been broken. Uh, it, it, it's not families have been split apart. Yeah, and there are people are out there really. They are from both sides are struggling to forgive each other. And this, what do you suggest as a as a way forward? Yeah, look, Lloyd, I, I completely agree with you that this has been quite a detrimental conversation for our nation. And I, I will be very blunt and blame the politicians for this. They should have actually taken the time to come together to see what we could have done bipartisan, you know, in a bipartisan manner. Yeah. And from there, have the conversation with the nation as a whole and listen to what uh, they were trying to accomplish when it came to the understanding of the voice. And, and I go back to a biblical principle that we find again in First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, as Australians, keep loving one another earnestly yeah. since love covers over a multitude of sins. So that's yes. interesting, you know, that the sins are still there. You can see it. You know that that person is sinning, that that person holds a grudge against you, but you find a way to earnestly love them and care for them in a non-judgmental manner that will just bring them back into relationship and fellowship, which is what we all hope to see. Yeah. I want to ask a general question of churches in Australia, not the Adventist church per se, but just churches full stop and for other Christians who belong to some of these denominations. should the church, and I'm saying any church um, denomination, take official positions on subjects like this? That's a very good question, and it's a challenging one for churches to, to work through. My personal point of view is that the church should try and remain as neutral as possible to allow for the liberty of conscience for every member in the church to make their own decision. But that also means that it feels for some that we're just straddling the fence. Mm. So at times you do have to make a statement, and we endeavored to make one when it came to The Voice, uh, where we were trying to ensure that people were taking into, into their thinking the principles of natural justice that Scripture speaks of, and, and dealing with those who are disadvantaged, and what do we do as, as Christians, uh, while at the same time allowing for a variety of conversation. Because there were there were good men and women on both sides of the argument, and they're all trying to get to the same end result, an acknowledgement of what has occurred to the indigenous man and woman throughout the history that, uh, that we have been here, uh, and then uh, a way forward that's actually going to work, because the challenge is that we've seen a lot of time and effort and money that has gone nowhere 
in terms of uh, uh, engaging the Aboriginal man and woman and bringing them into um, the the same kind of advantages that you and I have. When you think about the gaps, Lloyd, between mm. the white Australian and the uh, indigenous Australian, a white Australian is going to live 17 years longer. A white Australian has far more salary per capita per average than an indigenous man or woman education is a huge gap health is a huge gap i mean so there's a lot of room for us to improve in to uh, to understand it and i think here's one of the biggest challenges that we're faced the vast majority of australians have actually never met an indigenous man or woman mm. and that means that they will never get to understand their story to hear what they're challenged by and I think one of the blessings that um, that I have had in my life is having lived in Western Australia and going out to community, sitting in the sand and listening to the elders and understanding the concerns that they have. And the concerns that they have are exactly like yours and mine. We, they want their children to be well-educated and to have a chance in life. They want to be able to live a happy life. They want to live with purpose. And they also want to live with the understanding of the culture that they have. And in a Christian point of view, we want to give them as much freedom and liberty of conscience to be able to do that while also holding on to the principles that God gives us as to what is best in life. Mm. What, what's your advice to Christians whose church took a different position to what they voted? Yeah, I think I think that I go back to that verse that we were reading be, uh, before. Above all things, you know, keep loving one another because love covers a multitude of sin. And I think that, that that is where we as church members need to be. I think one of the best principles that, uh, that I have been given and I continue to share with others is that you never look at the human being. Because if you look at a human being on your journey of, of discovery of God in your life, you're going to be constantly disappointed by the hypocrisy that each human being has. That's why we God, do. the Bible says, look at me, look at God all the time, focus on him. And as you focus on him, you will recognize how much of a hypocrite you are, and you'll be less judgmental on the people who are around you. So in other words, forgive, love, and don't leave church because your leaders perhaps had a different view of you on this sort of stuff. Is, is it, yeah. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, exactly. And Romans 12 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Yeah. So even when you're feeling dishonored, you outdo the person by showing more honor than they've given to you. And, and for me, the, the best verse is found in Zechariah 7. It says, don't oppress the widows, the fatherless, the sojourner, you know, the person who's yeah. on walkabout or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your hearts, because this is your brother, this is your sister, and you've got to find ways in which to support them and honor them and increase the relationship and fellowship. Uh, we've got to go to we've got to go to heaven with them. We might be living next to them. Exactly. Uh, so we, yeah, we got. I, I like it. Um, um, do you have an answer? You're the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church in Australia. So do I'm you have an answer to the challenges of our Aboriginal Indigenous peoples? I'm going to come back to a to a, another Bible verse that I think is important in terms of a principle to follow, and that's in Psalm 112. It says, it is well with the man or it is well with the church who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affair with justice. And so I, I think the first thing is to listen. You know, I think we we the voice asks us to listen, and we have not done a very good job of listening. 
But there are many competing voices. And what we've got to do is make sure that we're listening to what God's voice is saying first and foremost, and in the principles of what God says, follow through with caring for our brother and our sister. So that, if, if I could extend that last question, actually, what kind of work does the Seventh-day Adventist Church do if Indigenous peoples throughout Australia? I think that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a very good question. And and uh, while we do a lot, there's still much more that we can do. And I can just share a few things. So the first is that we have an Aboriginal Torres Strait Island ministry that is nationwide, where we have the voices of Indigenous men and women uh, speaking to the directors of that ministry, who then speak directly to the presidents of our churches, our conferences. And that means that they've got a voice that's direct within the church system itself. And so we we are working on the 10,000 Toes program in, in Australia. And the 10,000 Toes is a United Nations program that has just been certified, developed by the Seventh-day Adventist Church with sanitarium, to, to enable people who are dealing with diabetes change their habits have less amputations, live longer because they're being taught how to actually live to the best health practices available. And that that is uh, being rolled out across Australia. We've got Mamarafa College, which is an indigenous uh, tertiary level course that teaches TAFE level classes in Western Australia that has impacted 250 communities across our nation. How many many students there at Mamarafa? They have about a hundred for every study block, and that's about okay. the capacity that we can have there. Uh, How many study blocks a year? There are four study blocks per year, and uh, they yep. go for two weeks at a time. And they come in, they do their two weeks face to face, and then they go back and finish their assignments and and send them in via via online services. That's four potentially four hundred. Uh, indigenous people a year. Uh, have I got that right? Or that is correct. And I believe that there's only one other uh, denominational uh, education facility in Darwin uh, that is of a similar similar nature. And, and we we've been certified by the World Church uh, with best practice, and we keep getting certified every three years by the Western Australian Education Commission as well. We've only got thirty seconds to go here, and I know Hunty's on to us, mate. He gave us a warning at the beginning of this. Um, do you and in- Tend as a lead pastor of the church in Australia to uh, ensure that the Aboriginal work has more invested into it, will grow, that we will continue to work harder and, and longer to reach these people and to be able to help them um, in the challenges that they have? Absolutely. I mean, we, we're committed to that and we actually have it as one of our priorities and goals out of the four major goals that we have as a church. That is number one of mainstreaming Aboriginal ministries across the country. And it is the second highest funded program that we have in Australia for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Wow. Now, I said that's the last question, but I have one question without notice. <laughs> we'll end on this. Sorry, Hunty. Bear with me. Do we have Aboriginal Indigenous pastors in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? And if, if so, do you know how many? Yes, we do. And we have about seven uh, who have gone through Mamarafa College and finished off at Avondale. And uh, five of them are ordained and we're looking for more. We, the, the youngest one at the moment is Henry, who's just coming through the process. He's in Greater yep. Sydney. And a uh, great guy, and we're looking forward to seeing what he's going to be able to do for his people and for our people as a whole. Well, thank you, um, Pastor Terry, for coming on board and sharing that with us. I, I know there's some challenging questions, and we I think, you know, through all of this, uh, and you can 
disagree with me, I guess, but I reckon that most Australians, the vast majority, have the good of our Indigenous Aboriginal people at heart. Probably what we need to do is work out as a nation how we're going to do it. And that's what we seem to be struggling. I think that encapsulates our entire conversation, Roy. Well done. Yeah, yeah. God bless you, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you. Blessings as well. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I always enjoy interviewing Terry Hunty. Yeah, wise man. Well, <laughs> you know where your pay packet comes from. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's challenging. He's challenging. He'll make you think. And he never, what I like about him, and I'll say this, he never shirks these hard questions I send through to him. He's always up for it, isn't he? That's right. Yeah, this next song we're going to listen to, it's a beauty. It's called The Heart of Worship by Matt Redman. I like Matt Redman too. He's a great singer. And this is a fantastic song, The Heart of Worship. When the music fades, all is stripped away. And I simply come. Longing just to bring something that's of worth. That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus It's all about you 
all about yeah. I keep saying it, but that's another one we sing in church, Hunty. We sure do. You know why I keep bringing these uh, songs into our radio shows? Well, this is the best people ever played, mate. These are fantastic songs today. I'm bringing these songs in because I want people to get a feel and a sense of what we play in church. And we have beautiful music. And this is one of the songs we sing that really goes off. Oh, Hunty. Hey, can I give a shout out for um, Ask the Aussie Pastor for later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you'd like to send in your questions for Ask the Aussie Pastor, my favourite segment, you can text them to us on 0488-880-851 or you can email us and the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail.com. So 0488-880-851 or theaussiepastor at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You got that phone number down, mate. I reckon I do I know, now, actually. I- I know that that came straight out of your head. Finally, you I, that, finally I do have it down. Fine, after two years. <laughs> okay. Listeners, we'll check next week, eh? We will. And see whether he has. We'll give him a – we won't warn him. We'll I, tested, him I a... tested myself the other day. I was surprised I got it. Hey, when I go into hospital to get this knee replacement, I go in on a Thursday. Yeah, take the microphone so the with fall... you. Take your microphone. Are we going to do We're going to do the radio program? <laughs> Close your hospital from the door, hospital. turn down the machines that go beep, <laughs> unplug the machines that go beep, and we'll do the radio show. <laughs> Annie Wilson yes. has a tremendous story about a uh, – well, it's really her testimony, to be honest. Yes, it is. And I think it'll challenge you, it and I think it'll encourage you, especially if you haven't yet made a call for Jesus. I tell you what, the way the world is, with the struggles and the battles we're all going through, and you see what's going on outside, never been a better time to give your heart to Jesus. And it's as simple as saying, Lord, here I am. I repent of my sins. I invite you into my heart. And then start reading your Bible and praying. And I'll say this week after week, if you don't know where to go in your Bible, start Mark, Mark chapter one. It's a beautiful book. It's only got a few chapters in it. It's concise. It's the story of Jesus. It's action packed and you would enjoy it. By the time you get to the end of the book of Mark, you and Jesus will be tight friends. It's that simple. Listen to what Annie Wilson has to say. Growing up, I would always look up into the sky and stare at the stars. I always dreamed of being an astronaut and working for NASA. I never imagined doing anything else. I started playing piano when I was six years old, and I absolutely hated it. My mom made all three of us take lessons. Jacob hated it the most out of all of us. Jacob loved to hunt. He loved being in the outdoors more than anything. Look how cute she is. This is Sally, um, Jacob's hunting dog and best friend. 
One of my favorite things about Jacob was he would never say a bad word about anyone. If I would even start to say something bad about someone, he would immediately stop me. He was the kindest person I've ever met. He would always make everyone feel so included and loved and welcome. Jacob was always the life of a party. He was always so funny and goofy and was just such a joy to be around. It was 3.30 in the morning and my sister came running into my room. She said, Anne, I think something happened to Jacob. And so I look outside and the only thing I can see are flashing blue lights. I run downstairs and the first thing I see are six policemen standing in front of my front door. They all had really sad faces. So I walked into the living room and I see my parents. My mom was sitting on the chair, screaming and crying. My dad was sitting on the couch with his head in his hands. And I just walked over to him and I just said, Dad, is he dead? He had just died in a car accident three hours prior. I was in shock. I couldn't even cry at that moment. It's probably the most hopeless feeling in the entire world when you lose someone that you love. It almost feels like you cannot take your next breath. I heard the Lord say to me so clearly, Anne, are you gonna trust me or are you not? So I turned around and I faced the doors in that room and I said to the Lord, Jesus, I trust you. As a family, it was very devastating to lose Jacob. When you lose someone you love, there's a decision that has to be made. It's very easy to be angry at the Lord and to blame Him, but the Lord really showed me that I needed Him more than anyone and that He's sovereign and that He's good no matter what. Yes, I have questions and and it's okay to have questions, but there was no point for me to be angry at the Lord when I needed Him most. The next morning, um, I got some time to myself and I sat down at the piano and I just started to sing What a Beautiful Name. I really just took that time to thank the Lord for giving me Jacob for the years that I had him. And as I was playing and just worshiping the Lord, my parents um, came in and they heard me singing it. and. They asked me if I would be willing to sing it at the funeral. And at first I said, no, absolutely not. Uh, I had never sang in front of anyone before. And so I sat down with the Lord and I just talked to him and prayed with him. And I just, I really felt him calling me to sing at the funeral. And so I eventually decided that I would sing and I got some friends together and we put together a version of What a Beautiful Name. As I walked up on stage and I sat at the piano, the Lord took every bit of nervousness away from me. I heard him say to me so clearly that I was called to worship him. And he was saying to me, I'm calling you to worship me, to praise my name and to glorify me. And at that point, I had no further interest in NASA or doing anything like that. And all I had in me was the desire to worship the Lord and praise him. The Lord 
has really put on my heart how he can bring beauty from ashes and has done that completely in my life. I feel so honored and grateful that I get to share that with people and that I get to tell my story with people on how the Lord completely has transformed this awful and depressing and terrible tragedy into something so beautiful. For me, moving forward, no matter how hard this gets, I'm choosing to trust God. Listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. That's a very challenging testimony. What mm, do you reckon, mate? It's absolutely beautiful. I think until well, beautiful but challenging because I think yep. until you go yep. through an experience where you lose someone and you do it with Jesus or you do it without Jesus, it's not until you recognise how helpful Jesus is in getting you through that gives you strength and courage and comfort. Uh, you never know what a wonderful thing it is to have Jesus walking by. So people mm. say to me, oh, Jesus is your crutch in life. And I go, yeah, you bet. For sure. He helps me through those sorts of things. And Annie Wilson, he helped her through that. And she's become quite a famous gospel singer and it came out of that tragedy. Um, our next song, My Redeemer Lives by Nicole Mullen. It's a, it's a beautiful song. And she's got a little bit of talk at the beginning, which I think leads into it very nicely. What do you reckon, Hunter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I think is, uh, listen to the words of this song. They come from the book of Job, probably the oldest book in all the Bible. And I hope you find it comforting as you realize that no matter what you're going to go through in life, Jesus is there to walk with you and to help you if you want him. Nicole Mullen, Moradema Lives. Um, earlier um, this year, I had the privilege of going to Israel with Kathy Lee Gifford and we did a music film to a song that God allowed us to write together. And just like we were just singing, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. A part of the song is a reminder and it simply says, and I will be good to know that the God who sees is also the same God who redeems and he buys back our pain and our heartache. Love me. 
I have a question for you. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the ocean you can only come this far? And who, who showed the program again Harold Harker welcome Harold great to be with you Lloyd it's amazing isn't it you're in let's say Newcastle or thereabouts <laughs> Hunty's down there in Sydney and I'm up yep. in Brisbane and here yep. we are and it's, we're as clear as a bell we are and the Lord can hear us all he can and fortunately so can our listeners uh, we're going to talk about the Anabaptists today uh, I know a little bit about this group they're a great group of people what does the name Anabaptist mean well, firstly, Lloyd, it was a pejorative term. They threw it at them because everyone had been baptised as infants, and this meant rebaptism, or if you like in colloquial terms, getting dunked again. And so they threw it at them as a pejorative term, Anabaptist. Okay, so to start off with, it's an aggressive term. It's a term of, uh, as you, as you, what was the word you used? Pejorative. Yeah. 
Yeah, which means uh, negative. And that was because they, the Anabaptists used to get baptised by immersion. What does that mean, to get baptised by immersion? Well, it means like Jesus was baptised, he goes right under the water and comes up, as Paul says in Romans. And it's not just a sprinkling like they used to do. So in, in a sense, they were following the biblical mode of baptism. That's correct. And it wasn't looked upon well. No, it wasn't. Okay, tell us a bit more. Where did they come from? Where did the Anabaptists come from? Well, early in the 16th century, after Luther had started, religious pluralism came. You had the Swiss and the Netherlands and Germany, and this group came mainly to starting in Switzerland. Okay, what were they known for? Just baptism? No, they were known as the radical reformers because they wanted to reform the church and how people lived according to the Bible. Would it be fair to say this group possibly was closer to the Bible than any other group? They certainly were, and we'll notice a bit more of that when it comes when they started. They just wanted to follow the Bible. Were they friendly with Luther and Zwingli and their doctrines? Well, they accepted the righteous by faith and how you save, and they accepted other things that uh, you can talk straight to God, you didn't need to go to a priest, but Luther and Zwingli didn't want these groups, and they actually persecuted them. Amazing, really, and very sad. Um, how did they go further than these reformers, these other reformers, say Luther, Zwingli, and the rest of them? How did they go further? Well, Zwingli, they were part of Zwingli's group, actually, and Zwingli had cut loose from the Catholic Church of the Middle Ages, but these people said, let's go further. Here there's baptism as Jesus was. Let's follow that. And Zwingli didn't want that, and the church, the council said no way. It amazes me that you see men like Zwingli and Luther, who I look up to and you know to this day, and yet their struggles to continue on the journey that they'd put the people on is amazing. Because it was Zwingli and Luther and the other reformers who'd said the Bible and the Bible only, and yet the Anabaptists go to the Bible the Bible only, they have baptism by immersion, they're coming under pressure. That's for sure. Much pressure. In fact, it was persecution that made them martyrs. Mm, mm. Um, was it only baptism that they uh, were emphasising, or were, as as we've already looked at, were there other doctrines, or was it particularly baptism? It was particularly baptism, but it was also images in churches. They didn't believe in image worship and uh, other things the church were doing. Tithing was one that the monasteries did. They didn't like either. Let's look at the Reformation Church again. Um, were there other disputes that this group of Anabaptists had with them, or was it basically exclusively on baptism by immersion? No, they believed in religious liberty and they should be free, whereas Luther and Zwingli, they united with the local council and the local prince to uh, support them and, and to be one. They had a union of church and state. These people wanted to be free of that. Okay. I like the Anabaptist movement. I reckon if I'd been in those days, this might have been the group I'd be with. Um, so they find they discover in the Bible baptism by immersion, which must have been very exciting for them. Tell us about those first baptisms. Well, it started in 1525. A former preach, priest by the name of George Glorock, they met with Felix Mance and they wanted to be baptised 
And so Conrad Grebel was not a guy there. They believed in being baptized when you believe. That means when you're an adult. And they baptized them. And this baptism continued and it just expanded. Three here, 35 there. And then wasn't long between 60 others. And over Easter, 300 were baptized. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, as this is happening, you've already indicated there was persecution. Is that the only way the Anabaptists were viewed negatively? Well, mainly. Uh, they were also seen as wanting not to support the state. So they were seen then as anarchists. Now, the Peasants' War. Tell yeah. us about that. And were the Anabaptists caught up in that? Well, they had a lot in common with that. And they didn't like the church and the authorities pushing down, say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And so the peasants, they also had financial woes. They rebelled and the Anabaptists were linked with them and did have some things in common. Okay, fair go. Um, so that might have been a negative for them if they got caught up in that peasants' revolt because that was a fairly uh, uh, blood-soaked sort of thing and a lot of people died in that. Um, what religious traditions came from the Anabaptists? Well, the Anabaptists have been the parents of the Mennonites, the Hutterites, and other groups. In fact, Adventists have a lot of background with these people. I sometimes wonder, actually, being a Seventh-day Adventist, whether we could probably look back to the Anabaptists as truly our spiritual forefathers more than any other group in the Protestant Reformation. It's just a, a view I tend to have. I don't know whether you support that or not, Harold, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the key struggle between the Anabaptists and the Zurich Protestants? Was it just over baptism and government? Uh Yes, but they also, the government then prohibited independent groups to meet. They wanted one group, it was Catholic originally, then Zwingli came, and they wanted that as the major group for the city, and they even ordered everyone who wouldn't baptise their infants, get out of the city and you go, we don't want you. Okay. Um, so they're really on the outer here. Um, what did they want to do to the Protestant church? Was it just to reform it, and was that why the resistance was there? They wanted the purity of the early gospel church, and they wanted to restore the church to its purity and the practice like the disciples and the apostles did. Mm, mm, that sounds good to me. Can you tell me briefly, because I know we don't have a lot of time left uh, today, can you tell me briefly their major beliefs? Yeah, they believed in baptism from the scripture, which was believers' baptism, and that was being in, uh, immersed in the water and rising up, as Paul says in Romans. They believed in identifying with Jesus, becoming his disciples, with the Bible as their ultimate authority. They believed, for instance, the Lord's Supper was the remembrance of Christ's body, and they objected to the transubstantiation or the consubstantiation that Luther had. They also believed we should separate from the evil of the world. And uh, they also said, you don't take oaths, you don't swear that we're going to do this or that. The Christian's word should be yes or no. 
But lastly, Lloyd, you'd be interested in this. They believed that God had said, go into all the world and make disciples, and so they were missionary-minded. Were they martyred? Well, yes, right from the very beginning. No one who became a leader of a group lived more than a year or two. They were martyred. In fact, the first guy, they tied his hands behind his back, took him in a boat in the Limat River in Zurich, and then tipped him overboard so he couldn't swim, and he just drowned. And this happened to many of them. Actually, I've heard the story that what they'd say to the Anabaptists is, if you want to be baptised, we'll baptise you. And most of them were actually martyred by drowning. Is that correct? A lot of them were, yes. Was there anywhere safe for them? Uh, yes, they did find there was one group safe. They could go particularly to the Netherlands, where religious liberty was a bit more there, and we find a whole group of them moving up to the Netherlands. Were any of them Seventh-day Sabbath keepers? Yes, they were. We've already talked about Oswald Glake and Andrew Fisher, and these two, in fact, Sabbath-keeping Anabaptists were quite common through there. They again followed the Bible, Sola Scriptura, and the Bible said, worship God on the seventh day. And so they were Sabbath keepers. And the final question of this great movement of people, um, their influence on modern Protestantism, is it large, is it small? How do you see that, Harold? Uh, I believe it's influenced many groups, but above all, religious liberty has come because of this group who gave their lives by putting the Bible first. And we come from that as well. They're a very interesting group. And we might come back, Harold, sometime with you and look further at their beliefs, because I think they were very biblical and we have much to thank God for them. Thank you, Harold. That's really interesting today. God bless you, brother. Thank God bless all of us. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I guess, Hunty, they would have uh, longed for the second coming of Jesus, those Anabaptists, as they were being martyred for our Lord. Yes, yes. It would have been uh, difficult times. In fact, sometimes I think back on, and it's why I like to bring Harold Harker in, I think back on these uh, reformers, the Reformation, those who gave their lives and blood so that we can have the Bible and have the freedoms we have today, they paid a terrible price. And the second coming of Jesus will be something that would have, as they were paying that price, been at the very forefront of their experience. I think if I was being martyred, I'd be thinking about the second coming, mate. Don't know about yeah, you, yeah, but yeah, I would. But, for sure. And, and this song, Soon and Very Soon, uh, we're going to see the Lord. It's it's actually written and sung by the late Andre Crouch. Mm. You knew Andre had moved on. Yes. Had gone to sleep waiting yes. for the Lord. Great man and for the Lord. He was a great singer-songwriter, and this song was about the second coming of Jesus. No more dying there. No more dying there. Because 
Amen. I think it's fair to say that we are going to see the king soon. For sure. Jesus Jesus is going to return. Uh, let's do a little Bible study, Hunty. Yes, let's. Have you got your Bible? I do. What Matthew version, what version are we in today? What version? Uh, NLT. I've got NLT. Beautiful. I think we're in NLT. Uh, maybe it's <laughs> CE. You're asking me. I don't know, man. That's okay. I'll follow you. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, and I'm, gonna, it's a, I'm just going to do a few ver- verses here. This is an interesting little Bible study. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they come to him, and they want to know why he's not doing certain things the way the Pharisees or the way the church did back then. Yep. And I like, this is one of the reasons I really like Jesus. He is not impacted by tradition. He makes the tradition. Love it. He's not interested or impacted by their laws. He makes the law. Yep, and so he good. doesn't work in their boundaries, inside their fence line, inside their paradigm and their rules. And I love that about Jesus. Yeah, me too. And I'll go Jesus' rules and Jesus' way every time. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, mate. Just One, read the first verse. Yep. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? We're in the same version, praise the Lord. Ooh. When you're a thousand kilometres apart, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. Do you know what fasting is, mate? Yes, but yeah, not look at me. You wouldn't think I knew the answer to that, would you? Well, well, yeah, but no, no. What, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not having to go at you or myself. Here. I beat you to the punchline. What, 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 what do you see fasting? That's at? usually 24 hours, no food. Well, I don't think people put a time to it, bro. Okay, well, no food. There you go. Fasting means yeah, don't, yeah. don't but eat. But why? 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 Oh, would you fast? Some people, some people do it for their health. Some to sharpen their senses. Some to lose weight. It's actually supposed to be quite good to fast one day a week. Any spiritual reasons? Oh, of course, yes. But you're the you're the guru on these ones. But yeah, the Bible does tell you. us to fast. You, do, you don't want to answer that one, do you? Look, I've searched for spiritual reasons in the Scripture. The fasting is often just said, "Oh, fasting." I think probably the spiritual reasons. Well, the one I've come up with. This is me, not biblical. When I fast, if I fast, and I don't do it very much, it would be when I feel hungry rather than go and eat. I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. Okay. That makes I think sometimes sense. in the Bible, fasting was to show repentance. Okay. So rather than eating and enjoying life, you're fasting. Right. Um, a lot of Christians kind of make fasting a part of their experience with God. Is it with me? Uh, you fasted. Not. You fasted last weekend, didn't you? Well, I fast every Sabbath. Okay. Very good. But the reason I, and especially if I'm preaching, the reason I do that is to em- because if I got food, I get a bit gluggy and don't think as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, most Sabbaths I fast, but why do I do it? Ah, just to give my body a rest. I, I wouldn't call it overly spiritual. But the Pharisees used to do it, and they used to do it to make a big show. Yep. So if I'm fasting, like if I'm fasting, I don't tell any. I might tell you, or so, but I don't tell people. Yep. I, I just do it. Um, it's a private thing between me and God. But they'd tell everybody. They'd make a fu- they'd make a big fuss about it. Everybody would know they're fasting, you know. And I guess everybody would gather around the table to eat on the Sabbath over lunch, and they'd make it very clear to everybody that they were fasting and that they were highly spiritual, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. And so the disciples come and say, "Why aren't you telling us to fast like they are fasting?" Well, what did Jesus say? Verse verse uh, fifteen. Verse fifteen. Jesus replied. Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. I think Jesus is saying there, hey, if fasting is to draw you closer to God, then you don't have to fast because I am God and I'm walking in the I love it. 
That's a beautiful answer, isn't it? It is great, yeah. So he's not against fasting, he, but I think he's probably against the pompous fasting that the Pharisees were into. Of course. What about this next one, verse 16? Yep. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Actually, I have to think about this. I'm, I don't know much about clothes. I can tell you I, this. I, what, yeah, I'm going to ask you in a moment. <laughs> okay. So just before I do, I was brought up, though, in the day when my mum, would yours do that, this too, would patch my clothes. Yeah, my grandma used to patch my clothes. God bless her. But his... And my mum would darn my socks. Yeah, yeah, my grandma would darn my socks too. So I grew up in that. Now, tell us, Hunty, why wouldn't you use a new patch on old clothes? So when you first wash, or at least the first few washes of new material, it shrinks. So um, if you put a new patch on old clothing and you wash your clothes, the new patch would shrink a couple of times and rip away from the old clothes. So So, that would leave an even bigger. Would she wash the patch first? Yeah, or she. Or she I know my grandmother would take a patch off an old pair of jeans that she was patching for me. She'd oh. have an old pair that was already shrunken. She'd already have taken a few pieces out of the the backside or the leg. She'd have a piece ready for cannibalisation. <laughs> now, to be fair, uh, I haven't gone through this Bible study with you, so I'm asking you, and I had to think too on this one. Can you see anything spiritual there? Um. I guess the okay. new wine with old comes to comes to thought. Well, that's where we're going. Oh but... yeah, it is too. <laughs> <laughs> Just in that, can you say anything? No, no. Tell, can tell I tell me, you? Can yeah, I tell, tell you me what the I've answer. Yes, about? please. Yep. Jesus brought a new gospel. Yep. It was not about laws and rules. It was about that Jesus saves and Jesus alone. And Jesus said, "You can't mix the old gospel of the Pharisees, which was the law, and my new gospel, which is I save and I save." He said, "If you try and mix them together, they just won't go." And that's how I see that. Now, there could be others out there who um, know more of the Bible than me and more deeply spiritual than me. Perhaps they've got other answers. I'd love to hear from you. In fact, if you want to give us a comment, yeah, hunting. please do. 0488 or email us, theaussiepastor at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't ring that number, text it. No, just text it. If you, if you, if you <laughs> yeah. ring it, if you ring it, you just get a voice message saying, text us only. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I see that. Jesus brings a new gospel. The Pharisees in their pompous fasting were an old gospel. You try to put the two together, they don't work. No. It's interesting it's a new gospel that will rip apart the old gospel too. It's a new patch that rips apart the old clothes. Hey, Hunty, can you read verse 17? Because this is where it gets really interesting. Sure. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Very interesting. Didn't know that. Mm. But apparently, if you put new wine into old wineskins, they just bust apart. That's right. And this is the same principle again, Hunty, that if you have a new gospel, you cannot put it in with the old gospel, which was no gospel at all, of the Pharisees. The two don't mix. And you know what? I see it even in churches today. You know that, mate? Really? Yeah. They still preach and teach an old gospel. They advance the law as the only way of keeping, uh, of making sure you're ready for Jesus to come. They advance a sinless perfection. Uh, and a lot of you listening probably don't know what I'm talking about, but if you're a Christian, you will have come across these sort of people who say, you've got to be perfect. You've got to keep the law perfectly. We've got to advance uh, God's law so that the whole universe knows that God's way is right. Well, Well, God's way is right no matter whether I keep God's law or not. 
but they make that their gospel. And Jesus comes and says, hey, no, you're saved, and you're saved by me, says Jesus, and by me alone. And I'll take that gospel every day, Humpty. For sure. So it seems sure. to me, mate, that spiritually we're uh, uh, not wearing old clothes with new patches and we're not using old wineskins with new wine. Mm. You and me, we're into the gospel that Jesus saves. Yep. I hope you enjoyed that Bible study with Hunty and me. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hey, Hunty. Yeah, mate. You know one of the biggest problems with the Pharisees in Jesus' day? These are the guys who are arguing one with him. One of the biggest on the problems. They were hypocrites. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were not kind. They were not kind. No. They were harsh, hard people. Yes. And this next song by the Collingsworth family is about kindness. Show a little bit of love and kindness.
What a great song, mate. I just love the music you've chosen today. Good job. All right. Yeah, thanks, mate. I know that you're <laughs> having a little go there. He who does not like hymns and likes the contemporary stuff. I do love he, hymns. I do love he, hymns. He who was banned from choosing the music after one go. <laughs> I got banned after my first song. <laughs> it was. Anyway. And, and it wasn't. People think it's me picking on you and I banned you. I didn't at all. No, I was banned by the big boss. <laughs> <laughs> thank, anyway, you for, thank you for bringing it up again. Alrighty, um, <laughs> my favourite segment: Ask the Aussie Pastor. Let me let me put you to the sword. Here we go. Question one. Actually, before we do that, let me give a shout out. If you'd like to send in your questions, you can text them to us on zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email them to us, and the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail Okay, here we go. First question. Should Christians take sides in the Israeli Palestinian war? <laughs> You're having trouble with that word, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, uh, should Christians? I don't think Christians should, and I think those who are not Christians, secular, they need to be careful too. Now, first, let me deal with the Christian side of it. Yes. Christians belong to another kingdom. They serve another king. They are neither Palestinian or Israeli or Australian or American. We belong to God, and Jesus is the king. And it's our job. This is our work. It's why I have a radio show. It's why I have a ministry called Aussie Pastors. It's our work to call people out of the hurt and the pain and the division of this world into the kingdom of God. And you can go into that kingdom if you surrender your heart and give your heart to Jesus, give your life to him. You go into that kingdom instantly. Now, if I were to take the Palestinian side in this conflict, then what chance would I have of calling Israelis to Christ? Got it. And if I was to take the Israeli side, what chance would I have in calling Palestinians to Christ? Mm, and, and my work is to call Palestinians and Israelis and Arabs and Jews and Australians and Americans and even Kiwis. <laughs> even Kiwis, hunting. <laughs> Kiwis, yep. My job is to call them to Christ. True, true. And I need to do things... I need to make sure I don't do things that disqualify me from doing that. So that's why I think Christians shouldn't take mm. sides. This is the really, second. Yep. What's that, mate? I was going to say this is really good advice for just about everything. Well, for secular people, the reason I think you need to be careful on what side you take is because the world is polarizing, and when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, there's pretty good arguments on both sides. We both deserve a homeland. Both deserve to live in peace. Uh, both to live. Both deserve to live without the the fear of death mm. from each other. Mm. And uh, somewhere, somehow, these two troubled sons of Abraham have got to get together and find peace. Yep. Although I, I got to tell you, I, I'm not sure that will ever happen. And I think when you take Aside in conflicts like this, you can get to a place where you're not seeing it from the other perspective, from the other person's point of view. As my grandmother said, you, you find it hard to walk in their shoes. And so so I, I think even as a secular person, I'd be careful taking sides on this because it's important to see it from both perspectives so that you can sympathize and empathize with both groups of long-suffering, uh, really persecuted people. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, question two. Now, this is probably the hardest question I've ever seen come in for you ever. Are you ready? Oh, okay. For you, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> That's an easy question. No way. Yeah. Okay, what is it? The meaning of life yeah. is to live for Jesus and to find my place 
in his course. And if I'm living for Jesus and he shows me my place in his cause, then I have meaning, I have peace, and I have total satisfaction. Okay. So for you, Jesus is the meaning of your life. Well, following Jesus, having him in my heart, and having him show me how to walk it, and I find incredible peace and deep, deep meaning in that. I have great relevance in my life because I've found what the Lord Jesus wants me to do. So, yeah, it is. All right. In fact, I go further, I don't reckon, and a lot of people argue with me out there, I don't reckon you've got no chance of finding any meaning and any peace and any purpose in your life if you don't have Jesus. Jesus. Mm, no. People are going to argue with me on that, Hunty. Yep. But I can tell you right now, um, it's been my experience, and you can only speak from your own experience. True, true. Yeah. This, this, See, that wasn't hard to answer, Mike. You, you did. You, you, you drove through it. Um, this next question, I want to actually add a bit of myself onto this question. The question well, is, that's do a bit you of a be- worry. <laughs> yes. The question is, do you believe in the unclean, clean meat thing in Leviticus? But I want to add to that. Did that get dropped at some point, the clean, unclean meat thing? Did that become irrelevant after the cross? I do believe in it. So and I believe it pigs, too, for two reasons. Pigs and bacon yeah. and that sort of stuff? Pigs, bacon, seafood. Uh, shellfish, seafood. Yeah, yeah. Bible for, forbids all this stuff. In fact, it says if you must eat meat, uh, make sure you eat clean meats. It lists a whole lot of animals that are clean. It lists a whole lot of animals that are unclean. I believe it for two reasons. One, it's in the Bible. So I think there's a spiritual aspect to it. And that spiritual thing, I think, is God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be of sound mind. He wants you to be without sickness. He wants you to live a good life. Uh, as free of these diseases and things that come to us from meat eating as you can get. And I say meat eating, unclean meat eating. And so, yeah, I, I, I believe that's spiritually a thing because when you've lost your health, it's hard to get too spiritual with God because you get consumed by pain and sickness and it's awful. Okay. I mean, we've both been there at times. Yeah, true, awful. True. True. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. It's in the Bible. God says it. Um, and he wants us to live healthy, good lives. The second aspect to it, which is really important, is science backs up what the Bible says. And so every single meat that the Bible identifies as unclean, don't eat it. Science is backed up as being toxic. Take, for instance, the poor old pig. And I actually happen to like pigs. They're friendly, intelligent animals. But they're the garbage collectors (laughs) of the natural world. True. They're designed to eat garbage and they ooze garbage. True. And they are one of the very worst meats that you can eat and they're killing people through their health all over the world. And yet the Bible says don't touch the stuff, don't go near it. Um, And the science backs up the Bible. So I would think that the Bible views and proclamations on what to eat and what not to eat are more relevant today than they've ever been. And they're more relevant today because we've got science to back up what the Bible says. And that, again, brings me to the wonderful reliability of the Bible. Where Mm -hmm. over 2,000 years ago or something like that, well over two, 3,000 years ago, God gave Moses some laws on what we should and shouldn't eat. Long before science could really prove one way or another. For years, for decades, for centuries, millennia, this stuff was scoffed at. Now here we are living in the 21st century and science backs up everything the Bible says on what 
to and what not to eat. And here's a challenge. I'll tell you right now, you go into the book of Leviticus, you look at these laws, you look at these food laws, yep. then you go and look at science, you won't find one single meat the Bible says don't eat that science says is healthy. Not one. Bible's right 100% of the time. <laughs> Love it. Mate, we've got, so just over, go. we've got just over a minute left. Let me try and wedge okay. in a couple more questions, or at least one more. Yeah. Was the Bible written in historical order from Genesis to Revelation? No, not really, although interestingly it does start with the creation of the world. It does go through in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, some sort of chronological order. Yep. But, Hunty, yep. just, I wonder whether you know this. Which book do you think was written first in the Bible? Oh, I did hear the answer once. Uh, it's a book, one of the books of Moses, right? Yeah, yeah. Well. No, I've lost it, mate. You have to tell us. I'm interested to see if you know. Yeah, no, it's deep down in I want you to have a go and see what you think. See whether you see how close you get. Um, most, pe- most people would say Genesis. Yeah, well, obviously, that's what I was thinking because of creation. Um, yeah. No, mate, I don't know. The book of Job. Oh, really? Yeah. That's wow. the book they, re- they reckon was written first, and it's a pretty ancient story. Who wrote it? Well, we're not absolutely sure. Was it Moses? I don't know. Probably not, maybe. <laughs> but it was definitely the first book written. And so they weren't written in chronological order. But when the when the Hebrew, when the Jews put the Old Testament together, certainly they got it in some chronological order, that's for sure, but not, not completely or totally. Hmm. Does that answer that question? Yeah, Is that what it, does. it does. It does. Um, yeah. You know what? So. We've got time for one more song. Um, would you like to introduce it? CC Winners. Yes, yes. And what's it called? Because it's one the of your goodness favorite. of God. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my Of the goodness of God Cause all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire And in darkest night You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God. Because yeah. all my life you have been faithful. Oh, yes, you have. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am made. 
Well, thank you for joining us today, listeners. And if you're in Northwest Sydney, I want to invite you to New Hope Adventist Church this week. I'm preaching. Hunty will be there. What time, Hunty? Yeah, please come, 10 o'clock, 4 Samuel Place, Quakers Hill, just behind the alley. And by the way, if you don't want to come at 10 o'clock, you can come to the second service that's at 11 right, o'clock. That's right. But come for both because remember, the first service is a great Bible study. Correct. Groups. Yes. And we have great Bible study. Second part of the service, that's where I'll be preaching. Yes. Hunt, he'll be up the back. If you come in, look to the left as you walk in and you'll see the big boy. <laughs> I'm in black. He'll be there. Always in black. I don't know what he'll be. He'll be doing something on the tech. And yep. look to the front and you'll see me. Yes. So thanks for shall joining us. Can we show you pray? Can you pray for us? Ah, uh, yeah, better, ain't Yes, please. Thank you, Hunty. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for being with us today. Bless our listeners and may they know you and experience the peace that comes from only serving and following you is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor and I love you. Yeah, my name's Hunty. I'm the tech and I love you too. But you know what? Jesus, he loves you so much more. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv.